0: The RBA has lifted rates by 0.5% to 0.85% and there are more rises on the way. And nothing like a rate rise brings about the clamour that back in my day interest rates were 17%. While talk of cutting back on smashed avocado dogs millennials struggling to get into the housing market, two of our experts recently evaluated the question, is life actually harder for millennials? I'm Kat Clay and with me are Brendan Coates, Economic Policy Program Director, and Joey Maloney, Senior Associate, So we might need to start by declaring some vested interests here. I suspect we're all millennials.
1: Loud and proud. That's right, Pat. I still claim to be young enough to represent young people, although those days are numbered, I suspect.
0: I know. I feel like Brendan and I at least are elder millennials, as they say, on that cusp. Now, before we get into rate rises and millennials, we're in the middle of our end of year financial giving campaign. We're a not-for-profit organisation and we do rely on donations from our lovely listeners like you just to keep our podcast going. If you enjoy this podcast and our research, please give generously at grattan.edu.au forward slash donate. So Brendan, let's get into the rate rises. Where are rates going and why is the RBA raising them so quickly?
1: Thanks, Kat. So rates have risen from 0.1% Like this is the cash rate that the Reserve Bank sets when setting monetary policy to 0.85% in the course of the last two months. Um, And most economists are expecting that they're going to hit, you know, somewhere between 2.5% and 3% by the end of the year. Uh, If you believe financial markets, which, you know, you can bet on where you think the cash rate will be, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, we could be looking at a cash rate of 4%, you know, by early to mid next year, and the, those markets have actually had you know a reasonably good um, track record in actually predicting where rates go. So we should take it seriously. The Reserve Bank governor went on the 7:30 report, ABC sort of flagship current affairs program this week, and flagged that he thinks you know, inflation is going to get higher than they forecast. Inflation was 5.1% in the March quarter. So that's like, you know, it's, it's like looking in the rearview mirror to work out what's happening to inflation. So inflation today is probably stronger. He thinks it will hit 7% by the end of the year, uh, which is what he said on 7.30 this week, which is a really unusual intervention. And so basically the Reserve Bank's really worried about where inflation is going to go. It seems to be overshooting in Australia where the forecasts are. It's been overshooting basically every time a central bank has forecast inflation in the last year in Australia and around the world. It's been higher. Inflation in the US is at a 40-year high. That's because obviously there's demand side factors. So where there's lots of demand in the economy, so lots of money chasing not that many goods. And then you've also got these supply shocks. So you think of a supply shock as being like, you know, when bananas get, crops get wiped out by a cyclone. You can kind of think of this like three cyclones ravaging the global economy. There's sort of all these COVID supply chains disruptions the last few years. There's the fact China's back in lockdown uh, in various parts because they've basically used the wrong vaccines and they're aiming for COVID zero. And then, you know, you've had Putin start a war in Ukraine um, and that's just seen energy prices spike. And those things mean that, you know, inflation's running really strongly um, and the Reserve Bank's pretty worried about it.
0: Brendan, what is the risk here that we actually crash the economy with these rate hikes?
1: Well, this is always a risk, hat when you're thinking about when you've got strong inflation, like central banks, their job is to sort of manage the cycle, but they, they quite frequently, particularly in history, have ended up causing recessions by, you know, making mistakes and certainly things that look like mistakes in hindsight. Often it's pretty hard to tell at the time because it's a really uncertain business. The economy is doing, starting from a pretty good place. Unemployment's at three point nine percent, the lowest level in you know decades. The labor force participation rate's basically at its highest level in decades. We're starting from a really strong place. We're basically at full employment, if not, you know, slightly beyond it. Now, the concern is always, oh, well, this means those rate rises will mean that we'll crash the economy. But I don't think that's probably the most likely outcome. The most likely outcome is. People who borrowed, and we just talked about this in a previous podcast, people who borrowed four or five years ago, they've actually saved a lot of money. They've, their household debt is less. They're not going to be that affected by interest rate rises because they've often kept paying the same repayments. Those that borrowed recently, which is kind of the cohort I think we're going to talk about in the podcast, they're at great risk because um, interest rate rises mean they're spent, they're, they'll cut spending a lot. I think the bigger risk is actually that you see house prices fall, which, you know, As a homeowner, I don't love that, but as a policymaker, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. And the risk is that in time, that means people feel less wealthy, they spend less, and that's actually the thing that might see consumption fall and see us really put the brakes on. But, you know, Lowe has said he'll do what it takes as RBA governor and if it's to get inflation back to that 2% to 3% band, and that could involve some pretty severe rate hikes, like the kind of cycle we haven't really seen since just before the global financial crisis and before that in the early 1990s when interest rates hit 17, percent
0: And we're going to talk about that 17% rate in a minute with you, Joey. I mean, these rates do look comparatively low to the ones decades ago. Does it still mean that borrowers have it comparatively easy?
2: It's tempting to to take that away from the headline numbers. If we look at this hiking cycle and maybe the cash rate rests at about 2.5%, which could mean that your average, your typical variable home loan, rests at about 5%. That is obviously well below the peaks of 17% that we saw at the turn of the 1990s. 17% seems like a sort of otherworldly number. There is a lot more to the story if you're asking how difficult was it to manage your mortgage. Interest rates are just one factor in um, calculating what a mortgage burden actually is for a household which is how much of their income they actually have to spend on servicing their mortgage. That's what really matters, right? That's what we're talking about here. Your mortgage burden is a function of your income, how big your loan is, and the interest rate being charged on that loan. So certainly on the last of those, things looked like they were much harder for the previous generation. But it was the second last of those, loan sizes, that complicates this story a lot. So for the older generation, loans were much smaller relative to their incomes because house prices were much lower. Now, this really helped contain their mortgage burdens. And obviously, the reason why the new generation is taking on much bigger loans is because house prices have risen so much. Back then, they were about four times average incomes. Now, they're about eight times. So when you do the math on this, the huge increase in the actual volume of debt households have taken on has really changed the game. And it's changed what a given interest rate actually means for household mortgage burdens.
0: So let me see if I've got that straight. Does that mean high rates now are what low rates used to be?
2: That's essentially what's happened. So in our article that we published last week, we had a graph that showed the relationship between like prevailing variable mortgage rates and what that actually translates to in terms of Uh, mortgage burden, so the percent of your income that you are spending on your mortgage interest. Now, I'd highly recommend going and having a look at that chart in the article. Uh, I think it really cuts through.
0: And if you do want to have a look at that chart, you can at grattan.edu.au and it's there on our news page. So check that out if you're curious about the chart that goes with this story.
2: So what the chart shows is that for any given interest rate, you know, the share of income going to servicing your mortgage is much higher because the loans are bigger. So another way to think about this is to sort of ask the question, if different interest rates have different implications now, what's the equivalent of that 17% peak that we saw at the turn of the 1990s? It turns out that 7% now is what 17% was then in terms of how much of your income actually has to go on your mortgage. That 10 percentage point gap is broadly the result of loan sizes or house prices growing much quicker than incomes. Now, at this stage, it doesn't look like we're going to 7%, but you can sort of see how what looked like small increases now, you know, historically speaking, can hurt much more than they used to.
1: But, Joey, it's worth pointing out, if if the cash rate hits 4% or just a bit higher, which is what financial markets are predicting, the average mortgage rate will probably be about 7% because that net interest margin, what, the gap between the cash rate and the banks is normally about two and a half percent for new borrowers because they give a better deal to new borrowers. But for existing borrowers, it's closer to three. So, you know, I think that's why we have to take this relatively seriously because those predictions have not been unreasonable in the past and they would imply that we're kind of going back to a world that looks a fair bit like 17% based on the kind of numbers you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. 7% is probably at the upper end of estimates. You know, if you took, if you look at bank forecasts, seemed a bit more bearish than what the, uh, the bond markets are pricing in. But it's not outside the realm of possibilities that a variable mortgage rate is hitting 7% by the end of next year.
1: Yeah, it's actually worth sort of noting when Phil Lowe went on the 7.30 report, he's talking about trying to get interest rates to what he thinks is kind of what they call neutral, which is kind of like when it's either stimulating the economy or... Sort of helping the economy contract, and he thinks that that rate—you mentioned two and a half percent cash rate. So if he thinks neutral is about five for the mortgage rate, maybe a little bit higher, then a a cash rate, an interest rate on mortgages of seven percent isn't like it's probably it's hopefully not as a as a borrower as a as an owner. It's hopefully not the number we end up with. If we end up there, it's because inflation keeps surprising on the upside in Australia, kind of as it has elsewhere around the world.
0: Apart from having a mild heart attack over here as the podcast host, thinking of my mortgage repayments being at 7%, the thing that I was thinking about, Joey, when you were talking about that comparison is like, take two cakes, for example. I mean, you've got a three-tier wedding cake and you've got a cupcake. Eating half of each of those is going to be two very different quantities there. So that's what I'm thinking in terms of these mortgage repayment comparisons. You know, a lot of people are borrowing a lot more these days. Joey, there are people who say, you know, it was it was really difficult at 17% and people remember repaying their mortgages in the 1990s. So how hard would it have been if you borrowed back then?
2: Very hard. And like no one is downplaying that, certainly not me. Like I said, 17% then is 7% now. But the way to think about this is that it didn't last for that long. If we take someone who borrowed at the peak in 1990, they would have experienced throughout the sort of early part of the 90s through to the end of the decade, interest rates falling a fair bit and incomes growing. So those two effects together can have a pretty profound effect on one's mortgage burden. When you model a borrower from 1990 at like all the average incomes, average typical variable interest rate, what you can sort of see is that they would have started their mortgage With a very, very high burden, would have been north of 30%, which is the typical benchmark for housing stress. That fell within a few years, it would have fallen below 30%. And probably by that halfway through the mortgage, you're down at around 12%. So you can see a pretty rapid decline in mortgage burden as the mortgage went on. That's because you've got a small loan with a high rate. With a small loan with a high rate, rates can go down. So there's a release valve there. It's a bit of a different story if you've got a big loan with a low rate. You, might, you don't really have that same release valve of rates coming down.
0: And there's only so many entertainment subscriptions you can cancel before things start to really crunch the numbers on your home budget. So, Joey, I mean, big loans at low rates sounds like a new generation of borrowers. It might even sound like myself, if I'm being honest here. We shouldn't expect things to get easier in a hurry here.
2: Look, not to sound too negative, but probably not. At least not compared to that previous generation, say that 1919 borrower that I was talking about before. Like I mentioned before, the, the things that affect your mortgage burden, are the loan size, the interest rate and the income. The loan size is what it is. When we look at a borrower, um, say who borrowed you know, late last year, like that cohort Brendan was talking about before, those who borrowed at ultra low rates at the peak of the housing market, you make reasonable assumptions about the future, mortgage rates settle maybe like even five, which is pretty, uh, maybe slightly optimistic, income to grow at 3% you wouldn't expect the mortgage burden for that borrower to decline at a particularly ripping pace. It'll fall over time, as is the nature of these things, but at a much slower pace than we saw for those previous generations.
1: I think it's it's also worth just noting, Kat, that, you know, if you're thinking of your own situation, like, you know, and I, I you know, we've bought Our houses or upgraded recently. It's kind of the analogy is like we bought the equivalent of like 1988. And then interest rates jumped and you sort of experienced that pain, right, as interest rates jumped and then they fell. And, you know, depending on what happens in the next couple of years, they could fall. But I think what Joe is saying about it, the long term beer, the burden being higher is likely. Obviously, as interest rates rise, house prices will fall. So if you happen to buy next year or the year after, the burden could potentially look a bit different because obviously then you're not paying as much. Because you're, you're catching it, hopefully, you know, depending on what happens when interest rates sort of are on the way, potentially on the way down or have stabilized. You know, I think the reason 19, 1990 is such a searing experience is not probably for people who bought in 1990. It's probably for the people who bought in the three years prior, which is kind of the analogy we're thinking about for people who bought in the COVID period and then experience higher rates. Now, in an ideal world, you know, Australia is kind of unique in that we all pay variable rate mortgages. That's actually really rare. Globally. So in New Zealand, in the US, you basically, whatever interest rate you take out, it's normally fixed for 30 years. That's why we actually are probably more exposed. And it's kind of a question that I think we should ask ourselves is, in a world where rates are gyrating around and house prices are moving so much in a world where debt is quite high, does it really make sense for everyone to pay fixed rate mortgages? Now, obviously, we've we've just benefited from the downside of that if you bought and now we're whinging about it on the way back up. But it does raise questions about, are, are, do you really think households are the best place people to do this? Should we have more fixed rate mortgages in Australia of longer terms? Because I tend to think we probably should.
0: So, Joey, big question for you. Is it time to cut millennials some slack?
1: I mean,
2: definitely. And this is probably where that conflict declaration at the start um, really hits the road. But um, yes, sky-high, ha- skyrocketing house prices have really changed the game. You know, you can't. Just compare yesterday's interest rates to today's, given the change in the volume of debt that the the new generation's taking on. These rate rises aren't going to be hard for millennials because they spend too much money on particular fruits spread on toast. It's going to be because they're more indebted than their parents were, basically, because houses are so much more expensive. So I might just finish by making a, a a broader point, which is that in a lot of ways, the current generation, our generation, is better off than the previous generations. And we should be honest about that. You know, international travel is more accessible, electronics are a lot cheaper. You know, as is the nature of economic growth and technical, technological progress, each generation is generally better off than the one before it. It's just that housing costs are clearly an area where millennials are facing some challenges that the previous generation didn't, at least not to the degree that this generation is. So I just think it's important to have an honest conversation about that. And I might finish up there.
0: So, Joey, what's the name of this piece you've been talking about today and what publication was it in originally?
2: So it was called The Housing Game Has Changed and Interest Rate Hikes Hurt More Than Before and it's in the conversation.
0: And if you do want to read that, please go to grattan.edu.au forward slash news. If you'd like to keep talking to us about this podcast today, Please contact us on social media. We love to hear from you at Grattan Inst on Twitter and Grattan Institute on all other social media channels. As always, please take care and thanks so much for listening.